You do steal it from work. <laughs> that's it. I stole it from the office. I actually really that's, like it. That that's where that's where the cup. other gold one went. What do you mean? There's another you gold cup. It. No, 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 no. You took that one. You took it. hundred <laughs> percent. I don't have that. I like that one, but I haven't been able to find it. <laughs> oh man. Hey, I was wondering, Nello. Um, yes, welcome, you, Brian, by the way. Welcome. Hey, everyone. Welcome yeah, back welcome. to Two Peas and a Pod. Yeah, Brian doesn't care if you're here. He doesn't say hello. He just wants He just wants to do it. Get on with it. I'm, task, I'm task focused. He's so task focused. That's it. Got to get the Two Peas and a Pod out there um, for our 15 listeners. Uh, right. <laughs> hey, it's here's grown. my question. It's grown by 10. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're doing Exodus. And, um, yeah. Uh, I was wondering because someone someone wanted to watch the Prince of Egypt, you know, as, as a congregation, watch it together. But is yeah. there, I was just wondering, do you actually know? <laughs> do you know if there's any other Exodus movies out there other than that one? Well, I'm know, not a great old. I'm not a great fan of the kind of biblical movies because they just get them so wrong. Yeah, but um, is Ben Hur's about Moses, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I think Ben Hur. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we should do a quick internet search. Yeah, hey, yeah guys right. at home, uh, in the know. comment section, in the comment section, right? Yeah. Uh, all movies about Moses or the Exodus. List them in know. the comment section. Yeah, yeah. And you- the the most the, the most uh, uh, inventive inventive is that the word I'm looking for? Inventive, most obscure. Sure. The most obscure sure. movie gets a prize. Oh. Awesome. What's the prize now? What are you, I don't know. What are you, well, what, what are you delivering? <laughs> what am I delivering? If, if, you're, if you're within the five-kilometre radius, I'll deliver you something. <laughs> All right. No, that's good. Um, uh, no Wikipedia ring as well. No, right, no. So. no, that's I, I actually, right. no I, I, I've actually done that. Sorry to let you know. Let you know you first, have? First of all. Yeah, I Wikipedia'd it. Um, I think, yes. Yeah, so I went up. We'll well, then, people, then you're we'll disqualified. You're disqualified. disqualified. <laughs> you're disqualified for men's right? Right. Most obscure or any movie yeah. reference, Exodus Moses, hit us up in the comment section. Hit us up. We'd love to hear. Okay. And yeah, yeah. if you're listening on Spotify, bad luck. <laughs> you're too late. We don't care. All right. Um, hey, now let's get to some of the questions, I reckon. Yes. So yep. we, we, uh, unfortunately, we skipped last week's No, podcast. so Exodus 1 and 2 today. Yeah, okay. yeah Exodus uh, 1 and 2. Whatever yeah. questions we have left over yeah. or any well, that you can think of from your Old yeah. Testament class that you yeah. never got to ask. <laughs> um, my first question that I had, yeah. um, I think you've actually answered it, but this was, let's just, let's just, let's just give it again. Um, let's do it what again. Is a, let's give it again. Let's go again. What is a Hebrew? Yep. And is it the same as an Israelite? Uh, good question, Brian. Thanks very much for that, mate. Yeah, we nice. did talk about it a little bit last week. So the term Hebrew uh, is first used in reference to Abraham as a noun. Uh, and it seems to me, we're not exactly sure, but it seems to me one of the meanings for the word is crossed over. Mm. And so it references the fact that God called Abraham out of his land, of her, uh, to the promised land. And he crosses over a river to get there. And so the Hebrews are descendants of the one 
who crossed over. And it tends to be used by other nations referring to the Hebrews. You're the descendants of the crossed over, the person who crossed over. Okay. And so you'll almost exclusively find it, say, in Exodus, it's the term that the Egyptians use mm. for the Israelites or for the Hebrews, which is interesting yeah. when Moses uses it that way. Yeah. Right. It's kind of reflecting his Egyptian upbringing. Okay. Mm. Israelite, on the other hand, another name for the same group of people references the fact that you've got Abraham, he has a number of children, one of the children is Jacob, he changes his name, or actually his name is changed after wrestling with God or an angel of the Lord, right, to Israel. And his descendants, 12 of them or whatever, yeah. are the children, I mean, in chapter one. Yeah, yeah, chapter one are the children of Israel, or sometimes they're, sometimes they're called the sons of Jacob, right? But they're the children of Israel. They're Israelites, right? So they're Israelites. So they're referencing that they're descendants of Jacob, right? That tends to be the phrase that is used internally. So when the Israelites refer to themselves, right? Jews, last one, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So you'll know that the nation of Israel under, you know, just after Solomon, splits into two kingdoms. You have a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom, right? That's um, with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, right. yep. the yeah. After the civil war, yeah. And yep. the northern kingdom, and it's 10 tribes that become the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom rather cheekily refers to them as Israel, refers to themselves as Israel. So they're mm -hmm. kind of like saying, we're the real Israelites, even though we're the ones rebelling against king david or the lineage of david and then the southern kingdom is referred to as the kingdom of judah and there are two tribes that are made up in the southern kingdom judah and benjamin right um but judah's the royal tribe okay uh it's the kingly so tribe the kingly right? tribe as in the tribe that jesus comes from. well it's a tribe that kings come from Right, right, and uh, so they 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 take the name the the uh, the, the the kingdom of Judah. So sometimes during the prophets, depending which prophet you're reading, it can refer to Israel, and it's referring to the whole nation, mm -hmm. or it's referring to Israel, the northern kingdom. Okay, or it refer to Israel and Judah together, talking about the whole kingdom. So when the northern kingdom gets obliterated, which it does, it gets intermingled. Uh, I think it's under the Assyrians. Uh, they get it, they get intermingled, and they kind of don't really exist anymore. There's some. The term to refer to the people that are left, which is the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and any northern people that come back, becomes the Jews, and it's referencing people from the tribe of Judah, but it becomes a catch-all phrase yeah. for anyone who's left, right? And so then it just becomes a catch-all phrase uh, for the people of God. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. Old Testament people of God, right? Yeah. Uh, the Jews. So yeah, Hebrew, Israelites, Jews. Yeah. History right, lesson. There you go. Sorry, really to bore, sorry to bore everyone at home. Uh, that's, um, that's really interesting. Hey, guys, we, we want you to get into history, biblical history as well. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. It's really, really good. Uh, thanks for that, Nello. So, that's all right, um, mate. why don't we move to the next question? Yes, sir. 
Righty, so this one's about kings. Um, if God is the the king of the nation of Israel, right? Yes. Why does he reference in Genesis 35 that kings uh, will come from the nation of Israel? And then I guess the next part of that is, are kings inherently bad? Yeah. So what you find all through Genesis is statements of what's going to happen in the future. So, for example, you have God speaking to Abraham, uh, letting him know that his descendants are going to end up in Egypt. Right? years before it happens. Yeah. So here God is speaking to Jacob, letting him know that the reality is, is that kings are going to come from his lineage. Okay? He's not endorsing kingship. He's actually stating uh, a fact. And you kind of don't hear how Jacob um, or Israel responds to that. Like, no. Yeah. He's like, no, you're God. Surely it would be your God. Why would yeah. it be kings? <laughs> um, and, and in one sense, kingship is not a bad thing in and of itself mm. because God is their king, right? So kingship in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? The problem with what Israel does um, under Samuel, right, in the time of the judges, is they want to king like the other nations, so they want to be like the other nations. Israel always had a king. It was God, right? So when they want to be like the other nations, they're wanting to throw God off as their king and have a human king, right? Um, so, and it's interesting. I mean, God doesn't say at that point, kingship is bad, right? He says what, I mean, it's Samuel that gets annoyed, uh, about the concept because he thinks he should be king right and god says you know in essence to samuel what right do you have to be upset <laughs> right, they're, right? So yeah samuel they're throwing is... me off they're throwing yeah. me off as king not you um yeah. so the concept of kingship is not inherently bad um because god is their king it's the fact that they choose to have someone other than god as their king and what's happening in, and all I think is happening in Genesis 35, 11, is that God is saying to Jacob that he's going to be a father of a, a group of people which is going to produce kings. Yeah, human kings. Yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so could it be said then that um, had they not said or thought, we want another king like the other nations, we want a human king, yeah. Perhaps rule over us, but not like the other nations. Is that okay? Is that what you're? Is that is that a, a right way of thinking about it? I'm just I'm just pushing it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because I wanted to understand. Um, yeah, what? So because because Genesis 35 mm. is saying you there will be kings that come from. Yeah, it's a prophetic um, word, isn't it? Yeah, right? that's right. And there's no. This is what's of, going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's no there's no moral judgment on that. There's no that's right. Or that's no. It's just this is what. No, it's happen. just what's going to happen. Yeah, but but one Samuel eight when Israel demands for a king, it's God saying, "I am your king." Yeah, um, and it's wrong what you're doing because you want kings like other nations. Yes, that's right. That's the wrong. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like I said before, Genesis often just has statements in it, prophetic words about what's going to happen to Israel, um, but it doesn't necessarily um, make those statements. Um, with any sense of judgment about them, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to end up 
you know, you're going to end up in Egypt. You're going to end up as slaves. Yeah. It just kind of makes these statements, right? Yeah. And so here in Genesis 35, God is just saying, um, you know, I'm the God Almighty, be fruitful, be multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you and, a, and kings shall come from your own body, right? Yeah. That's just what's going to happen. Sure. Um, without any kind of statement one way or the other. God was always their king, and they should never have sought a human king over them. And yeah. I mean, the other thing uh, is, Jacob, the Jacob himself gives lying to many nations, not just yeah. the Israelites. Yeah. Yeah. Right? The Israelites are but one nation that comes from Jacob. Right? There are lots of other nations that come from Jacob as well, half brothers and. Mm-hmm. You know, children from concubines and whatnot. Uh, the, the question about uh, this idea of the fine child—I think I was just—I was just looking yeah. at my my uh, translation, the Christian Standard Bible translation. The Christian it? Standard. That's Bible. it. That's wow. Too, right? <laughs> I don't know where I got this one. There it is. The Christian <laughs> Standard. Have you read Bible. this one? What do you think? Wow. Yeah. Go for Bible it. Don't know. Never, never heard of it. Oh, the question is, wouldn't a fine child just mean a healthy child? Yeah. How do you pick up that it means something good will happen to him? Uh, is it in the Hebrew, perhaps? So kind of, the question's trying to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, this, yeah, for sure. Your, your, your explanation of fine child. My my reading in Exodus 2, 2 says the woman um, who had Moses, so who, who became pregnant, gave birth to a son uh, mm-hmm. when she uh, saw that he was beautiful. That was the word. Yeah. You hit him for three months. So, yeah. you said, so beautiful. So beautiful is a horrible translation. <laughs> gotcha. There you go. All right. Hey, so, fine child. So literally the Hebrew. All healthy. He says all yeah, healthy. Yeah. So literally the Hebrew is right. Uh, mm. And she gave birth to a son. Yeah. And he was good. Right. Yeah. right. So that's you know if you kind of it's not a word for word but. A literal translation of the Hebrew is she gave birth to a son and he was good. Right. Now, what does that sound like? Creation story? Yeah, exactly. Right. Sure. And so there's a whole heap of connections back to Genesis uh, in the in this passage, right? So the connection of Noah, water, saved through reed, uh, saved through water. So there are all these connections all the way in Exodus chapter one and two. Back to Genesis. So, right, right. So, so can you, I just ask them? Yes. Um, when, so, th- therefore, if you're reading the the Hebrew, you mm-hmm. would see that word "good." I think it's twelve, right? Yep. Um, and then that should make you think because you're reading oh. the original. Oh, oh, that goes back to Genesis. It sounds Genesis a bit like yeah. right, right. So yeah. often with these connections, you go, "Where have I heard that before?" So we did that, for example, in in Exodus chapter one, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Where have I heard that before? And so remember, the author is trying to actually take you back and say these people, so in Exodus chapter 1, these people are people of promise, right? These people are the people of the creator, the children of Abraham, right? Here in in Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 2, you've got this word for a child and I mean, not only is the girl not referenced as being fine, 
Mm. Right. But he's clearly out of these Levite couples, children, the one that's been singled out. Why are we told? And he was good. Mm. Now, it could be that we're just being told he's healthy. But that would seem to be in the story, in the narrative, because remember, it's not, yeah. it's not just a biography. It's a theological biography. The author is trying to teach you something for a purpose. It would be a weird statement just to throw in there, right? Mm. And less still beautiful. Right? The, the, you had the reference beautiful. I mean, these looks, have yeah. got, <laughs> these looks have got nothing to do with it, right? Yeah. So when you look through the story and you keep reading, what you end up seeing is that Moses becomes this rescuing type figure. Mm. Right. Yeah. So as you read the so if you were to read it and go and and he was good, right? The birth of this child, he was good. Good in what sense? Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, right. let's keep reading, right? So you hold this thought in your mind, let's keep reading. And as you see, he keeps rising up as this person that even though he's been raised in an Egyptian, he remembers his people. He sees their oppression and he wants to act, right? And you can't help but read the passage and go, is this what the author meant when he was saying he's good? Yeah, right? yeah. Right? He, he's going to see his people and respond and to their oppression. He's going to see his people and act. And then he does it again when the two uh, Hebrews are fighting. He does it again when yes. the shepherd women are, are under danger. There is something about this man that sees the need of the oppressed and wants to act. Good. Yeah, yeah, and does what yeah. is good, right? So, so and he becomes, good. hang on, and he yeah. becomes yeah. a reflection of what God will do. In fact, yeah. what God will do through him. Yeah. Yeah. So the writer is trying to get you in Exodus chapter 2 to go, if Moses can see the need of his people and act, and that is the good for which he was created or saved, will God do it? And then, of course, I don't want to give away Exodus chapter that's 3. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in Exodus chapter 3, that's exactly what you see happening. Yeah. And in the beginning of the chapter, God, in essence, goes, I saw, yeah. I heard, I acted, he's Moses. Yeah. He's the rest kind of that 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 uh, it sets you up, yeah, it builds you up to kind of make you think, oh, if this is what this man does, what's God going to do? Um, yep. And then kind of leads off to chapter three, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. this week. Um, that's really helpful. Were the Israelites not crying out to God before verse 23? So yeah. verse 23, let me, let me read it. Um, chapter two, verse 23 says, now this is the, the end of chapter two. Almost. After a long time, uh, the king of Egypt died. Uh, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out and their cry for help uh, because of their difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites and God knew. So the question again, uh, were the Israelites not crying out to God before verse 23? So, yeah. Okay. So, so, so let's, let's do two things, right? One, of course they were crying out. Right, they're being oppressed, they're being flogged. Wow, what's going on? Right, so in one sense, of course, they are. But if you're a close reader of the text, it doesn't actually tell us that anywhere. 
Mm. So all through chapter one, we're not being told that the Israelites cry out to God. I mean, I'm sure they were, right? But we're not being told. We're simply being told the more they're oppressed, the more they multiplied. So we're actually not hearing the Israelites' response to being oppressed. So in one sense, what's happening as a piece of literature, as a piece of writing, okay? In chapter one, we're being introduced to the fact that there's this battle between Pharaoh and the king of the Israelites, God. And Pharaoh ultimately is going to lose no matter what he does, and that God is in the business of keeping his promises to make them a mighty nation. Then in chapter two, it's kind of an introduction part two. We're getting introduced to Moses, and we're seeing something of his character as a rescuing character. But the other thing we're being introduced to is the nation of Israel and what they're like. And we only really hear about them right at the end where they cry out. But the author, again, is setting us up for this last statement. And so all through chapter two, you're getting these stories of people crying out in anguish or people in distress. And that sets us up for right at the end, Israel cries out. And how does the princess and the other people in the story, the other rescuers in the story, respond when they hear crying out. It's setting us up for how is God going to respond. Now, you could argue what a waste of ink, and why couldn't you have put that right at the beginning? Well, I suppose the author could have done that, but it's a wonderful piece of literature where by telling a story, unlike writing a letter or an epistle like Romans, He's trying to get us to see both the character of the people of God, but more importantly, the character of God who listens to when people cry out. So it's a long way of saying, of course, the Israelites were crying out prior to verse 23, 24. It's not a chronology, right? But the author is emphasizing it in verses 23 to 24, because he set up these previous stories and the previous stories are kind of almost priming you to respond in a certain way. You hear this crying out and you're almost conditioned to respond. There's got to be a rescuer. Yeah, that's right. And and now when you jump into chapter three, you hear language of he heard, he saw, he knew, he acted. But how is he going to act is the big question. So the end of chapter two, we're being primed for the fact that we know God is going to act because all the human agents in the story have acted when they've heard crying out. In chapter three, how is he going to act? What is he going to do? How is he going to rescue them? And how does Moses fit into that? And he really, yeah, really sets it up for chapter three. Hey? And I'm yeah, really yeah. looking forward to what's going to happen then. Um, and uh, I think we were talking um, in our staff meeting uh, on yesterday that one of the things that stands out when we read Exodus 1 and 2 in the Old Testament, you know, the Bible as a whole, but the Old Testament stories in particular, is that we're not particularly good readers. I mean, we can read the words on the page, but we're often not good at seeing how the author is constructing their story. 
But if if that had been put on film and we were watching it on YouTube or something we like would that, get it. you would so get it straight away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've so become just, much more visual. How, how do you think, um, I guess as a subsequent to that question, is how can we get better at, at reading narrative and stories, do you reckon? Maybe just a couple of things. You can yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I think, you know, one, there's always a story arc in yeah, a narrative, so, right? Like so there, any good movie as well. Like any good movie, ways, there's always yeah. a kind of tension, right? Yeah. There's usually something that gives rise to a tension in the story. Then there's usually a couple of examples of what that tension would be like. And then there's a resolution. Where's the hero, right? Yeah. And then, then there's a falling tension and then there's peace, right? Yeah. So if you so, kind of remember that story arc a little bit as you're reading a narrative, mm. then you kind of go, where are we? And yeah, so in Genesis right. chapter two, right, the story arc is there's this tension. The Israelite boys are going to get killed, right? How can God keep his promise to Abraham if the boys are being killed, right? And then you have these three or four stories that seem unrelated to that. So, you know, the writer has gone, the Israelite boys are going to get killed. Pause, right? And then you get the princess and you see how she acts. Mm. And then you kind of go, okay, there are all these other stories that seem unconnected to that. Well, actually, you're getting told a little bit about the hero of the story, Moses, and what he's like. Yeah. yeah. And the real question at the end of the story is, What's going to happen to the people of God? Mm. So you're getting this kind of story arc and you're being told right at the tippy tip tip of the story that people cry out. Yeah. It's reaching this climax. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And we're told God knows, but how's he going to get them out? Yeah, yeah. Right? And so it kind of, it's hinging now in chapter three with how's God going to do that? Hmm. Yeah, excellent. Um, so just being really careful cool. readers of the story and not just going, oh, yeah, this happens, this happens, this happens. Why is it happening? Why is it there? Asking the question of why. Asking, asking the question, where, why is yeah, the yeah, author put it at. there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's, um, that was really cool. That's helpful. You're up. Um, so, Old Testament uh, 101. Right. Old Testament 101. Um, I'm sure if you've got... Uh, if you wanted to know a little bit about how stories work, I, I think I've seen something from Nello. So if you want, if you want some resources, Nello can shoot some. Yeah, a, a really good book. A book, um, yeah, resource. A, a really good book is by a guy called, a little bit hard to read, but it's worth getting your head around. He Gave Us Stories is the title of the book. Yeah, okay. He Gave Us Stories by Richard Pratt. P-R-A-T-T-E. He's the Old Testament professor. Of, uh, so he's a professor of Old Testament uh, studies at Orlando Theological College, part of Reformed Theological Sem- Seminary. Uh, he Gave Us Stories by Richard Pratt. Uh, and he's written another book called He Gave Us Prophets. Uh, by, uh, he Gave Us Prophets as well. So both those books would be good books. I'll read. read your library and uh, just take them. <laughs> All right. Um, so everyone, thanks for joining us uh, on the two peas and a pod this week. Yeah, I know we're back in our separate offices over Zoom, yeah, right? So yeah, that's right. he's praying that we will uh, we will be back soon. If yeah. you have questions about Exodus one, two, three in the coming weeks, 
and you don't want to put them on Slido, but you do want to hit us up, then please put them in the comment section on the YouTube page uh, and we will try and answer them or email Brian and I. We're, we're happy to do that or put them up in our Facebook community page, uh, EPC Facebook community page. Uh, people who are listening overseas, I'm sorry about that. You, know, you can't join our Facebook community page, but that's okay. Well, I hope um, hope this uh, podcast was helpful for you. Uh, this week we're looking at chapter three to four, verse seventeen. So have a read of have a read of uh, yeah, God's absolutely. Word before, be, it'd be a good read before Sunday. Um, we hope it will be helpful for you. Yeah.